Welcome to another of our Dental Business Transaction podcasts. And today I have pleasure in talking with Christian Riley, who works in our sister company, Lilyhead Finance. Welcome, Christian. Hi, Lily. How are you? I'm very well indeed, thank you. Now, Christian, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the whole market, let's talk about Lilyhead Finance's activity. Yeah, well, Lily, I mean, it's been a very hectic time for Lilyhead Finance, uh, specifically Martin and myself. Um, I think you have to kind of look back last year in the amount we did in lending, it was way over £50 million. And I think we've just finished the first quarter of 2022. And we are well on track to potentially exceed that £50 million in lending we did in 2021. And I actually had my busiest month ever last month, Lily. Um, I think on average, we send about £5 million to our tier one lending panel per month. I was just looking at my figures this morning and I actually did £5 million myself. So very busy times. I've, I've actually got a whiteboard behind me in the office. You would have seen it yourself when you, when you, when you pop by. Uh, and all of my deals are uh, listed. And I actually think I need a new whiteboard because I'm running out of space. <laughs> <laughs> Nice try, Mike. Right, smaller. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, yeah. <laughs> okay, lovely. Um, of course, you've been with Lilyhead Finance for a while now, and it's no secret that you've worked in similar roles in the past. Um, tell me, Christian, what do you enjoy about your current role, and are there any key differences? Yeah, absolutely, Lily. And I think the obvious key difference is probably the level of analysis we provide our clients when it comes to assessing an opportunity. Uh, making sure the numbers work is one thing and just making sure the EBITDA is right for the client. But there's so many other factors to consider. One of them being, for example, is the business mix. What is the split of the turnover, i.e. NHS? Does it have any private, any DEM plan? And lenders' credit appetite for NHS dominant practices is slightly higher than private, which would therefore take into account what loan-to-value the lenders may offer you. Uh, Location is another thing. What is the area like? What's the population like? If you're buying an opportunity increased to private work, does the social demographic statistics evidence a demand for private dentistry? Uh, Another one would be potentially the NHS contract, what name is it held in, and whether the vital signs report show any breaches. Staff costs. This is quite a common one, actually. Um, Staff costs. What is the percentage of staff costs within turnover? Is it within industry norms? Uh, Materials and labs. Are materials and labs within a normal percentage of turnover? And this is just a fraction of research included in our financial analysis. And this does take a while, opposed to us just kind of giving you a basic idea of the EBITDA. But when we do sit back and ask our clients about this analytical approach, they do say it adds real value to them because when they go to their viewing on a weekend, they have the confidence that they know full well about the practice's background, the location, that everything's going to be right for them post-completion if they were to get to the keys. And it also puts them in a competitive position as well when it comes to bidding on a practice? Because you know better than I do at the moment how many more buyers we have seen register interest on a practice. And you need to be competitive. You need to be fast 
and slick with um, getting an offer in. And we believe our financial review helps us for our clients. Good. No, it's a good point you make. Um, and I certainly know we get great feedback, but it is so important. Let's talk about the different types of transactions you work on at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, that's another thing, Lily. Uh, I think if you were to kind of look back at my portfolio historically, I mean, I think probably 100% of the transactions I would have worked on would have been your typical first-time buyers, second-time buyers, acquiring an existing acquisition. I think kind of moving on now, and if I was to look at my portfolio and my whiteboard behind me of the deals I'm working on, there's a number of different sort of acquisitions, and just to maybe name a few, we've got several refinance cases, we've got uh, a dental practice looking to expand and acquire a new site, that was an interesting proposal. Uh, there's asset finance cases, uh, and there's also a number of squat opportunities as, as well. So I think I, I think what I want to do is just maybe make the message clear to all dentists who are maybe first-time buyers, second-time buyers, or perhaps they already own a practice and need some sort of funding. We are here to help, and it's not just the first-time buyers we, we assist with in acquiring a new dental practice purchase. So the answer is pick up the phone, talk to us. Absolutely. Now, obviously, as an experienced practice financial consultant, what, what would you say, Christian, is the main challenges you face day to day? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a very good question, Lily. Um, I, I guess the main challenge I face day to day is the same challenge a lot of your clients probably would have faced during the months of April to June 2020, when we went into our first national COVID-19 lockdown and dental practices had to unfortunately uh, close its doors. I don't want to, you know, speak too much about COVID. I think we're all a bit bored of (laughs) of speaking about COVID. But, you know, it's something which happened and it is having some sort of, I don't want to say effects, it it's something we have to consider when when it comes to borrowing. And, and, And the main reason for that is when it comes to analysing the viability of a dental practice, we work off the last three years' accounts for that target practice. And the common trend we are seeing at the moment when assessing a business's last three years' accounts is that the total revenue for year 21 may differ from year 20 and year 19. And that's just due to the simple fact that they would have been trading for nine months instead of uh, 12 months. Uh, this, of course, is not a problem for the lenders, as they completely understand that the business had a reduced trading year. However, the lenders need to get comfortability that their practice's income post-year 21 financials is back to in line of how it was pre-COVID. And I guess the challenge with this we often face is receiving the correct data from either the sales agents or the vendor themselves to evidence this to lenders. If I was to give you um, an example, um, I'm working on a case. It's an off-market sale, to be honest, and we can probably go into a bit of detail after on why I don't think off-market sales are viable for both buyer and seller. But it was was a practice with a kind of 50-50 split of private and NHS income. Uh, The year 19 and 20 accounts were kind of in line with each other, absolutely fine. But the year 21 accounts did show a dip in turnover, Uh, due to the uh, national lockdown. Uh, We had confirmation from the vendor that income has in fact exceeded the revenue 
in line of year 2019 and 20. So it's actually doing better than how it was pre-COVID. However, we can't get any management information to evidence this to the lenders. Uh, so we're kind of at that stage now at the moment where the deal can't unfortunately move at all because the lenders need to get an idea of whether or not the year 22 income for the practice post-COVID is back to how it was um, in, in, year, in year 20. Uh, and I guess, you know, the, the good news now is a lot of practices with a year end of March would be submitting their year 22 accounts. So we are going to get to a stage soon where this may not be a problem. But, you know, to answer the question, it has been a challenge for, I assume, a lot of um, buyers on a market because this does prevent the slick process of getting a deal from offer accepted to the valuation stage of the transaction. Most practices, especially with high private fee per item revenue, are probably having their best years of trading. It's important to get some commentary on how the growth has been achieved and whether this is sustainable. I had this exact conversation, in fact, last night with a client uh, who's actually on the, pre- on the market for a practice at the moment. And we've actually got management information to show that the income in the business is probably in line to exceed the year 21, year 20 and year 19 accounts. However, the lenders want to get an idea firstly on is this level of income realistic under new ownership? How this practice has increased its revenue uh, and whether or not this is sustainable and whether or not it's just a one-off trading year for, for the business. Absolutely. And of course, we can mirror that in the dental practice sales sides of things. It's got to be sustainable, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, now, let's talk deposits. It's a question I'm often asked, Christian. So let's say I'm a buyer on the market for a practice. What deposit do I need? Tell me the inside track. It, it really is the million pound question. Uh, I, I get asked this question probably every day from uh, new purchasers as well as uh, my, my clients. And I wish there was a simple answer, Lily. I wish I could just give a kind of figure with, with a full stop at the end and, and, and there we go. But it, truth be told, it all really depends on the specific target practice you are purchasing. And just to give you kind of a few uh, examples, uh, you know, whether it's a leasehold or freehold, uh, the value of a dental practice. I mean, one dentist trying to borrow 90% of £1 million is, is very unlikely. Um, business mix, uh, is it got a strong NHS contract? Is there a good level of den plan? What's the private income like? All of these factors can determine what deposit you can achieve. Uh, in today's market, I would say that the majority of our tier one lending panel, however, would want a 20% cash contribution. However, there are some lenders on our panel who can get flexible with a, cash, with a higher loan to value of 90% providing the practice credentials fit, fit within their policy. I would also mention that specific opportunities with strong merits can often get lenders comfortable with a higher loan to value. And a good example of that would probably be my two clients who are husband and wife. They've been working in their practice for, I think as a collective, 22 years. um, And they're currently responsible for about 70% of the income. 
So their, their, their principal, their, 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 their boss in theory, has approached them both and has said, do you want to buy my, my, my practice? Um, they were delighted, of course, to be able to have the chance to buy this practice. But when it came to actually tendering this to the market, as well as doing my financial assessment to the clients, we had the honest conversation quite early on that I think the lenders could get comfortable with a higher loan to value of 90% just because there's minimal risk of the goodwill leaving on 444 lender. Yeah, you're right. And of course, as we know, Christian, your personal experience can also play a big part on what loan to value you can achieve, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, where where is your cash gone? Well, <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? A lot of people ask themselves that. Uh, absolutely. And it's, it's, some, it's something the banks are going to probably ask straight away. I mean, if you want a higher loan to value, where, 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 where has your cash gone? I mean, the banks are going to quite early on want to get an idea of what your uh, personal experience is like, what your, what your kind of total monthly income is like, what your monthly income surplus is like. And, you know, if you've got a strong income surplus, let's say you earn 10K a month, you've got uh, 5K of bills, leaving you with 5K uh, income surplus, the banks are going to want to get an idea of where's your cash gone? <laughs> uh, you may also be a homeowner, but do you have any investment opportunities, i.e. buy-to-lets, any commercial properties with a sizable amount of equity in? Some lenders can get comfortable with a higher loan-to-value, providing they can have a second mortgage on the equity on an asset you own. Loan to values on freehold funding is a much easier question to answer and more often than not, I would say there is scope to get 100% funding providing the practices operating profit can service that debt. And what I would say, Lily, is within my experience in the sector and our lending panel, I can often get a clear feel when modelling a practice on what loan to value I think I'd be able to secure for my client. So I guess the answer to the question is... uh, 20% 20% deposit is probably the norm for most lenders. However, there could be an opportunity to secure the target practice with a 10% cash contribution. Um, it's also important to have additional cash saved as well for additional fees, I would say. Uh, approximately maybe 15 to 20k. Uh, this, will, this will cover the bank legal fees, the your own legal fees, bank security fees, bank valuation, bank security fees, and perhaps stamp duty if you're purchasing uh, the freehold of the business. Good. Thank you, Christian. That's very good because that's an important point to cover off, of course, is that people don't think about all the extras and they all mount up. Um, And they've got to be able to service the debt and be able to sleep at night and if they can't afford it. And I know that you pride yourselves at Lilyhead Finance, you'll tell somebody if a loan is just not feasible or sustainable and it's very important. So that's, you go back to the review that you do, you make sure they understand, don't you, that this is everything that is going to be entailed. Um, So let's imagine I'm a buyer new to the market. What qualifies me as a dentist and what information will I need to provide? Yeah, yeah, that's another good question, Lily. And I think the first one would be uh, an asset liability income expenditure form. And I get my clients to fill one of these forms out uh, quite early on. Uh, and the reason for this form is, in theory, is just to get the lenders comfortable with your personal experience. They want to get an idea of what your net worth is, if you own any properties, what is your total monthly income, monthly income surplus, and how much cash do you have? And, and kind of um, on, on the other topic, if, if you have any unsecured borrowing, outstanding 
or any bounce back loans taken out during uh, COVID-19. It's important to be as accurate as possible on this form as the lenders will want to see personal slash business bank statements and cross-check that these match up with what you stated on your Ali form. And I'd like to add something to that, Christian, is that over the years I've been selling practices, just very occasionally we hear of people that are not, shall we say, 100% transparent about a lending they have elsewhere. So it's very important, isn't it, when you work with your uh, finance broker to tell them about all the outstanding loans that you have because they will be uncovered and that can greatly impact your ability to get funding, isn't it? So you've got to basically put everything out there and declare everything that you have. Absolutely. And I guess what you don't want as well is to purposely prevent disclosing this information because you've got to remember there's there's costs involved here as well as time. Uh, I mean, the, the first cost would probably be the holding deposit for the practice to take it off the market. But then you've got the valuation fee with the bank, you've got security fees. What you don't want to do is pay these costs for us to then find out quite late on that there is unsecured debt outstanding, which may put the bank's guard up and may prevent funding altogether. So what I would say is outstanding finance or unsecured debt or bounce back loans are absolutely fine to have on your asset liability form. But it's very important that we have it clear kind of on day one. Let's talk about, because I know that obviously one of the things that you have to ask for is you need a CV. You, you get a CV from them, don't you, early in the process. And then that allows you to put together this professional lending proposal. Now, the banks want to get a copy of that as well, don't they? Uh, uh, they yeah. want to know how, how long you've been qualified, whether you've got any managerial experience. That, that is correct, Lily. Um, and we ask for the CVs quite early on because it, it helps us when it comes to writing about your professional experience on our prof- proposal document. Uh, but, but yes, the banks will want to get a copy of your CV. Uh, they want to get an idea of what your experience is like, how long you've been qualified for, what sort of practices you've worked in, i.e. if it's been mixed or private. Um, but what they also want to see as well is whether or not you've got any managerial experience as well. What I would say is it's all good having the years under your belt as a dentist, but have you done anything else in your professional career to help with the practice ownership journey you're about to take? It's a good point. And I think it's worth saying that it's not we're not here to try and scare people off because you know we can help. We can put them in touch with people to give them business coaching and excellent dental specialist accountants that can help them. But it's got, there's got to be an awareness, hasn't there, of how a business runs. They've got to understand the bottom line, the P&L, um, because once the, the rosy glow of buying a practice wears off and they don't actually understand how their business works, they're going to come a bit of a cropper, aren't they? Correct. Working as an associate to then becoming a principal, it's, 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 it's two different jobs in, in, in theory. Uh, I get a lot of kind of feedback from our clients who uh, are first-time buyers who've acquired their practice and it, it, I think it's fair to say it's, it's, it's very different in, in roles. You'll be doing a lot more managerial work as well as the dentistry sides as well. Of course. And of course, we've got lots of dentists, as you know, who actually no longer 
work clinically, they just keep acquiring more practices and thriving and growing and building little empires. So Absolutely. of course some people get a real taste for it. Correct. Um, so there's something out there for everyone. Let's finish with the old chestnut. What are the benefits of using a practice finance consultant? Why can't I just do it on my own? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. And I think the clear and obvious benefit, firstly, is probably just honest advice, Lily. Uh, there's a good chance that if you're a buyer and you come onto the market to buy a practice, it's going to take you a while to find the right opportunity. There's going to be times when you may see a practice on the market and it might, you know, the location might be right. It might be very close to home. Um, you know, it might have a good split of NHS and private. It might have a freehold you're after, but it might not work for you financially because the main things is making sure, firstly, you've got the cash reserves to get the deposit for, for the practice. Secondly, whether or not the workload you have to do in the business is viable for yourself. For example, if the practice requires you to do 8,000 UDAs in order to make it viable for lending, however, you only have experience in doing maybe 6,000 UDAs, then it's probably not going to be the right practice for yourself. But I think, yes, yeah, so I think just honest advice. Um, I'm not targeted to sell you a dental practice. That's, that's not my job in theory. My, my job is to present you the facts and figures of a dental practice and to give you an honest idea of how the business would look post-ownership. Um, yeah, take, take it to all the lenders, of course, as well, the panel. I, I, absolutely. Um, our our tier, len tier one lending panel, it's increasingly growing. We've just actually uh, enrolled a couple more lenders onto our tier one lending panel. Um, but we have access to all of the lenders who are lending to dentistry at the moment and we know all of the right contacts. I often get asked, I have a contact at the bank already who has said they could offer me funding for this practice. But the simple answer to that is, how do you know that is the best deal? And that could be interest rate, that could be loan to value, that could be committed term. There's many factors to consider. And we believe that doing this job kind of day in and day out and speaking with the lenders on a daily basis and getting an idea of what's changing, what things are going well, we can give our clients honest feedback on how the market looks. And also fast and slick results. It's, it's a very crowded market right now and there is way more competition when bidding on a practice. I always aim to ensure that my client and I have discussed the financial review before their viewing on a weekend to ensure that on the Monday morning they can be in a position where they are thinking about offering. Yeah. It's really a snooze, you lose game right now, Lily, and you have to be fast. Uh, there's so many more buyers looking at the same opportunity. And if you've got all of the information you need beforehand, you can walk into that viewing on the weekend confidently and then hopefully be in a position the following week to put an offer in and then which allows us to then write up a bank proposal for you to get it sent out to the market with hopefully competitive terms and underwritten offer from the bank to then progress to the valuation stage all within hopefully a fortnight. I mean I know you've worked on all types of acquisitions in the past Christian um 
I think I can honestly say on behalf of Lilyhead Finance that, and Lilyhead Dental, you know, you've consolidated experience in the sector and you've seen pretty much every issue, haven't you, that could possibly go wrong. Although every day is a school day in our world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Every, yeah, every day is actually a, a school day. You, you, you do really learn something new every day in, in this job. But what, what I would say is if the experience Martin and I have um, on a consolidated basis, um, we have seen probably most problems in, in transactions. Uh, and, you know, we are here to pick up the, we are here to speak to, and you can pick up the phone to us if there is a problem with your transaction. And, you know, as well as crunching numbers, we are actually here to put out fires. So it is part of our job to help. Christian, it's been great talking to you and very insightful. Um, this is your first podcast, isn't it? I think. <laughs> yeah, it is my first podcast, Lily. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, your podcasts and they are very nice to listen to on my journey home from work. But yeah, my, my first podcast and hopefully, hopefully the first of many. That's great. It's been lovely. Uh, what is the best way for people to get hold of you, Christian? Yeah, um, I'd say the best way of contacting me is through my email. Uh, that is cr at lilyheadfinance.co.uk. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lily. All the best.